Right. If you have a Bible, go to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And I said that I would get through Ruth in four weeks. That is not going to happen. Ruth chapter 2. And I'm kind of picking up where I left off last week. We're, we're kind of talking about grace. And if you missed last week's sermon, it's okay. Don't worry. Uh, this sermon will stand on its own. But we're kind of continuing this uh, narrative. And we were looking at Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20. If you have a Bible, just go there real quick and look at verse 20. This was kind of the key verse last week, and it'll be the key verse this week. But it says there in Ruth 2 verse 20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And we really circled that word in that verse, kindness. You know, that we circled that and we underlined it and we talked about it and we defined it. And that word kindness is really, it's probably the most important word in the whole book of Ruth and maybe one of the most important words in the Old Testament. And the reason why is because it comes from a Hebrew word. The, the Hebrew word is hased. You're supposed to spit when you say it, but it's hased. H-E-S-E-D is the word. And hased is one of the most important Old Testament words. And it's translated in our Old Testament as loving kindness. So we read like the psalm this morning, the loving kindness, the steadfast love of God, that's hased, or the faithfulness of God, that's hased, or the kindness of the Lord, that is hased. It's one of the most important words. It's used 246 times in the Old Testament. I counted that up last night. Thank you very much. 246 times over half of those is used in the book of Psalms, and it's really super, super important word. We would equate it to grace. It's the grace of God. That's, that's a great word to summarize, has said, the grace of God. And Naomi was a bitter woman. She was resentful and angry. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She had gone through tragedy. And at the end of Ruth chapter 1, she says, Lord has spoken against me. God is not for me. But because of the events of Ruth chapter 2, she's able to say the Lord's kindness. She goes from emptiness to fullness, from bitterness to hopefulness, all because of said. All because of the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is God's special love. Everybody say special. It's His special love for His people. God does not love everybody the same, beloved. He doesn't. He loves His people in a particular special way. He loves His people in a said type way. Every time you read about the loving kindness of God, he is talking about his love for Israel, for the covenant people. And when Naomi sees the work of Boaz in the, in the life of Ruth, a, a widowed woman, a Moabite woman, and Boaz gives her food and gives her Costco gift cards. Can I get an amen? And he makes sure that she has more than enough food. And she comes home with 20 pounds of food. And Naomi said, who did this? And she said, it was Boaz. And she says, that's a kinsman redeemer. And she says, that reminds me that God loves his people in a steadfast way. 
The kindness of the Lord has not forsaken the dead or the living. The grace of God. You see, Naomi knew, and it's, it's, I'm trying to think of how to describe this, but it's like Naomi knew she had been taught when she, from, from the time she was a small child that Yahweh, the Lord, had made a covenant with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you three things, Abraham. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you land. And I'm going to make you a blessing to the families of the world. And he made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant was unconditional. God said, I will give you my hesed. I will give you my steadfast love. No matter what happens, Abraham, nothing can separate you from this promise that I've given to you. I will give you people. I will give you land. I will bless the nations of the world through you, Abraham. I'm going to bless the world. And read the Old Testament that lights it up because what happens in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a story of how Israel keeps jacking everything up. They keep messing up. And when you're reading it, you're saying, man, God's not going to keep his promise with Israel. Israel's going to be so bad and so unrighteous that that promise that, that God gave to Abraham will no longer happen. And yet God always has a remnant, everybody say remnant, a remnant people that keeps that promise going, a very minority people. And Ruth, the book of Ruth is all about that because the book of Ruth happens in the time of Judges. And in the time of Judges, everyone is corrupt. Do you remember that? The book of Judges, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Everyone's deciding what their, what their right and wrong is. And there's violence and there's corruption and the politicians are corrupt. We don't know anything about that. And the preachers are corrupt. The prophets are corrupt. The priests are corrupt. There is no one righteous in Israel. And you read the book of Judges and you're like, man, this deal is done. Like what God said to Abraham is not going to happen. And yet in this little family in Bethlehem, in the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, this little family in a little bow-dunk town. Man, I'm from Oklahoma. I know about those bow-dunk towns. It's like a little nothing town. Like, you know, you know the, the tumbleweed just tumbles through it. And nothing good comes out of Bethlehem. And yet in the, in the little city of Bethlehem is a guy named Boaz who's a worthy man. And he meets a Moabite woman. And there's Naomi who is a widow. And through the grace of God, God is graciously holding this family together and thus holding together his promise to Abraham. Can I get an Amen. And the story is not, this is not a love story where we're like, oh, that's so sweet. It's like, a, it's like a Hallmark story. No, 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 man. Ruth is about God. Ruth is about God. Ruth says, God is totally steadfast when we are not. God is faithful when we are not. God holds up his promise of grace when we are doing everything to screw it up, jack it up. God still stands there faithful because he is big and because he is good. The book of Ruth is about God. It's about the grace of God. It's about a gift that he gives that he's not obligated to give.
Naomi says, oh, this is the said of God. And for you and I, you're like, what's this got to do with my life? Like, you just did like an Old Testament, like, survey. And there's sirens out there. And I'm distracted. And I'm kind of bored. Like, what's this got to do with me? And here's what it's got to do with you and I. The Bible is driving us so that God is not a feather lightly falling on our minds and our hearts. That God is not a concept on the, on the margins of our life, kind of out there, kind of some little opinion or concept. God is not a feather or inconsequential to our lives. God is meant to be a rock that hits our life and rearranges the whole thing because we see how great He is. Why is God gracious? So that we can see that He is great. So that we can see that He's sovereign and sufficient. So we said, what is grace? What is grace? The first thing we said about grace is we said that grace is God choosing sinners to be adopted into His family. God chose Ruth. God chose Ruth before the foundation of the world. Just like God chose Rahab. Just like God chose Abraham. God chose Ruth and Naomi by grace to adopt them into his family. And you ask, how do I know if I'm adopted into the family of God? How do I know if I'm chosen by the grace of God? Because you are willing to believe in Jesus Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of Abraham's promise. But the second thing today, and this is really interesting and provocative and controversial, and you know, if, if you hear a message on grace and it doesn't tweak you a little bit, it doesn't kind of frustrate you a little bit, then you have not heard a message on biblical grace. Grace should shock you. It should offend you because it goes against our human nature. The second thing about grace is this. Grace is God drawing sinners to the Redeemer. Grace is God drawing, irresistibly drawing sinners to the Redeemer. What did Naomi say? She said, man, the kindness of God. The Hesed of God. I see the Hesed of God and the work of Boaz and Ruth coming together and meeting each other. And she sees something that God has orchestrated. A divine conspiracy in the life of Ruth. God has drawn Ruth to the Redeemer sovereignly. God has irresistibly moved Ruth so that she would meet her Redeemer. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, let me just stop here and let me preach. You're like, as if you haven't been preaching. But when you believe in Jesus, it's because God put you in the right place at the right time with the right heart to believe in Jesus. You found Jesus because Jesus found you. You choose Jesus because Jesus chooses you. Just like Boaz chose Ruth for redemption. You say, where do you see that in the text? Irresistible grace. Where do you see that? I see it. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So how does God draw sinners to the redeemers? Two ways. First of all, he draws sinners to the redeemer in the history of their lives. Their whole history draws them to the redeemer, just like Ruth. Look at Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3. 
Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, it says, So she set out, that's Ruth, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, everybody circle happened. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan, oh, the Scottish guy, of the clan of Elimelech. She happened. That's an ironical way of saying that this is no accident. If you are pagan and you're not a believer in the sovereignty of God, then you would call it good luck. You would call it hitting the lottery. But we know that it's not luck or coincidence. That everything that's happened in Ruth's life has led her to this moment, to this field, to this Redeemer. The bad times, the good times, the bitter providence, the sweet providence, all of the, all of the things of Ruth's life has led her to this moment. She was raised in a culture of death, Moabite culture. Women were promiscuous. She grew up in a culture of sexual incoherence and antinomianism and anarchy and craziness and everybody's all jacked up in Moab. Ruth grew up in that culture. She's the least likely, least promising person to find her way to the people of God. And she marries an Israelite compromising man, a man who's not faithful to the promised land, a Hebrew man who decided to compromise his faith and, and walk outside of the boundaries of God. He, she married Malon, and Malon and her get married, and her whole dream was to have a baby, and she can't have a baby. She's barren, and Malon dies. And all of this bitter providence leads her to consider the work of the Lord and the life of Naomi and to go with Naomi to Bethlehem. And God used all of that, all of that stuff, that bag of stuff in the providence of her life to lead her right to the field of Boaz. And that's what God's grace does. God's grace and His love draws us he works all things out for the good of those who love him, who are called to his purposes. In fact, let's just go there. I don't have a slide for this, but take your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 real quick because I've got, I've got more than enough time. Can I get a hallelujah? Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 and following. Now, some of y'all, you've heard this verse so many times, but I want you to hear it fresh today. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 where Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, everything in your life work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now that's important because this is not about everybody. That's not, that's, that we cannot preach today. We can't preach this sermon and say, it doesn't matter who you are, God's working all things out for your good. No, that's not what it's saying. That is not what it's saying. It is saying, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, God is working all things out for the good of those. 
It's, it's, it's for those that God is leading to believe in Jesus. You're like, how do I know that God is, le- is working all things out in my, my life, the good and the bad, for, for my good? If you believe in Jesus, then everything in your life is leading you to love Jesus more. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We call that the golden chain of salvation. He, he predestines us, and then he justifies us by faith, and then he, he sanctifies us, and then ultimately our ultimate salvation will be in the kingdom, kingdom of Jesus where there's no pain, where there's no suffering, where there's no tears anymore. For Christians, we're only experiencing just a little foretaste of our complete salvation. That's what's happening to Ruth. Ruth is predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God is in her history drawing her to the fields of Boaz. You say, well, what does Jesus say about this? Does Jesus talk like this? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus' most controversial ideas on grace are found in John chapter 6, verses 35 and following. I've got some slides for this, but you can turn there if you want. John chapter 6, verse 35. This is the hesed of God. This is, this is the kindness of God to draw sinners to the Redeemer. John chapter 6, verse 35, it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Doesn't that sound like Boaz? You think Jesus has got enough Costco with him? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see how it's talking about that all that the Father gives me will come to me. In other words, Jesus is saying the Father has people that he is drawing irresistibly, and those who are drawn irresistibly, oh, I'm running again. I'm sorry. Those who who the Father is drawing irresistibly come running to Jesus, and they believe in him. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, you have everlasting life. Jesus goes on to say in John 6, verse 43, Jesus answered them and said, do not grumble among yourselves, which is what happens with people when Jesus starts preaching. People grumble. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. 
they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. In other words, I am Boaz. And when you find yourself on the fields of Jesus and you're looking at him and you're like, that is exactly what I need, it's because the Father has put you in the fields of Jesus. He drew you to him. And you just happen to run into him in your life. And you just happen to be able to believe in Jesus. And you believe in Jesus and you give praise to the Father. Thank you, Father, for your grace that you were not obligated to give to me to lead me to Jesus for my salvation. I was broken. I was lost. I was trapped in darkness. I was in bondage. I was running. I was rebelling. I was believing in all kinds of functional saviors. I was believing the promises of the world that the world never keeps. I was a part of a Moabite culture, a culture of death, a culture of sexual incoherence and antinomianism and anarchy and father you led me you led me to jesus the least likely person the least promising and you used all those painful things in my life that i hated You used all the abuse in my life. You used all those moments when I lost somebody. You used all of it to draw me to Jesus. Thank you. And you used all the success and all the gifts and all the people that loved me well and and the Naomi's of my life and the Ruth's of my life and my grandparents and my parents and whoever else it was that, that helped me. You used that to lead me to Jesus. And all that the Father gives to the Son will come to Jesus. And Jesus uses the means of churches and witnesses and missionaries and, and preaching and opening up the Bible. God uses all of it to draw His people to Jesus so that they'll repent of their sin and believe in Jesus and give Jesus their life. If you're watching online or if you're here in person and you've never believed in Jesus, let me call you to believe in Jesus and give him your life because in his house there is bread enough to spare. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. But God doesn't just use our history. God works in our heart. We come back to Ruth chapter 2, and one of the things that we find out is that it was the Lord who worked in Ruth's heart. This is so important. How How does the grace of God draw us irresistibly to the Savior? Well, not just through our history, but through our hearts. And We we find this in Ruth chapter 2, and we pick it up. Go to Ruth chapter 2, and let's pick it up in verse 10. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 10. And y'all remember the story, like, like, Ruth is just like, man, I'm just trying to find some food, and I'm trying to find a field where I will not be sexually harassed. I'm praying that I can gather up just the 
the, the ears of the grain, which is just like the scraps left over on the, on the ground after the reapers go through. She's just hoping to pick up some scraps and not be sexually violated. That's her goal for the day. That is her goal for the day. And when she comes on this field, she meets Boaz, who is a worthy man. He actually has a sexual harassment policy for his fields. It's the coolest thing. And she's able to start gleaning. And, 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 he, and he says to her, listen, you don't even have to pick up the scraps anymore. You can come and you can be with the rest of my women and you can get some of the good stuff on this field. And nobody's going to bother you. I told my young man they aren't to touch you. And it says here in verse 10, watch this, verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, here's our communion service, right here, communion, in the field at lunchtime. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Now that's a remarkable passage, but the key thing about it is, this is a remarkable thing, it says in verse 11, how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now that sounds familiar to me, man. Like I'm, I'm like, I've heard that somewhere else in the Bible. That's probably because I went to seminary. Can I get a hallelujah? I'm like, where? I took a test on that one time or something. Like I remember... And you know what I remembered? I was like, oh, yeah, Old Testament survey. And do you know who the most famous man in the world is today? The most famous man in the world today is a man by the name of Abraham. He's more famous today in the world than Michael Jordan or any celebrity you can imagine. He's more famous because he is the father of faith of three major religions. He's the father of faith of the Muslims. He's the father of the faith of the Jews. And he's the father of the faith of the Christians. And we all, all of the major religions, look at Abraham and go, that's our guy. And we have arguments about Abraham. And we have these theological battles over Abraham. And we fight over sacred sites with Abraham. But here's the thing. Christians are the only ones, we are the only ones who say about Abraham that the only reason he is the father of our faith is because he was a sinner saved by grace. And the reason why we say that is because of the book of Romans. The Bible says that the reason why Abraham became the father of faith is because God chose Abraham and pulled him out of his Gentile pagan background and called him to go to a place he had never gone before. 
And when the Bible describes this salvation of Abraham, it describes it as Abraham leaving his father in his native land. In fact, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is a significant passage. Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And by the way, all the families being blessed through Abraham is fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I mean, Jesus is right there in Genesis chapter 12. But you see... You, you see what happens, like calls him and what does he do? He says to his mother and his father and his native land and his culture and everything else, you know, forget you culture. I'm leaving all the false gods of my culture and I'm following Yahweh Lord. And the Bible says he didn't, he didn't even know where he was going. God worked miraculously in the heart of Abraham that he would be willing to do this. The sign of God's grace in the life of Abraham was that he was willing to leave his native land. Let me give you one more verse, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, Joshua describes to the people this history of theirs. And he says there in Joshua chapter 24 verse 2, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. That means Abraham was worshiping other gods. His favorite god was the moon god. Then, verse 2, this is Yahweh talking, this is the Lord talking. Then I took, everybody say took. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all of the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Oh. oh, no, wait a minute. Hold on. God, God took, God said to Abraham, well, there you are, worshiping your moon God, being stuck on stupid. There you are, Abraham, an uncircumcised, disgusting Gentile with your false gods. And it says, God took Abraham because the potter can do that with clay can I get an amen the potter can do that with clay and God can take a mess mass of clay and begin to form it into the image he wants and he took Abraham and he said Abraham I'm calling you to leave your father and your mother and your native land and to become my man and through me I will create my people and through my people my Messiah will come and my Messiah will be the savior of all the nations. Everyone who believes in him, Jew or Gentile, of which Abraham was both. Abraham was both a Gentile and he was a Jew, the only man ever who was both. And just like you, Abraham, everyone who believes in my promise, everyone who believes in my son, I will adopt into my family, and they will become one of your descendants. And God said to Abraham at one point in time, he said, Abraham, look up at those stars. 
look up at those stars. And you know, back then in the ancient world, often, you know, wherever he was looking up at the stars, he could see a lot of stars in that country sky. He saw those stars. And the Lord said to Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as those stars. And the moment you believed in Jesus, you became one of those stars. The moment you believed in Jesus. When you take all of that and you come back to Ruth, let's look at it again. Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz looks at Ruth and says, I don't see a Moabite woman in you. Mm -mm. I see Father Abraham in you. I see the same God that worked in Abraham that caused him to leave his family and his native land to follow him. I see that happening in you. And he says to her, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. In fact, Boaz says, you sought refuge in the wings of the Lord. And that's a picture of a little chick, a little chick coming underneath the, the wings of a mother eagle bird or something like that. And, and it's seeking protection. And, and what Ruth did when she left her family in her native land is she says, I want protection in Yahweh. I want protection in the Lord. And she sought that protection because God worked in her heart. That's grace, man. That is grace. Amazing grace. Unstoppable grace. Irresistible grace. Grace that draws us to the Redeemer. We're just like Ruth. We're lost. And we're dead in our sins. And we're worshiping false gods. Money. Power. Sex. We have a million functional saviors that weigh hev more heavily on our heart than God does. And it destroys us because the wages of sin is death every time. And we're dying spiritually, and we're dying physically, and we're, and we're dying relationally. We're just dying. And grace slowly draws us to the one who forgives, who heals, who gives us a relationship with God. What is grace? Well, grace is God choosing sinners to be adopted into his family. And grace is God drawing, irresistibly drawing, sinners to the Redeemer. You say, well, you know, why is this important? I mean, seriously, like, like what can I do with this this week? Like, so what? I mean, you preach sermons and Bible verses, and we get to the end of the sermon, you go, what do you want me to do with this? Well, if you're a Christian, the big thing is this, is that you live in a culture of entitlement. Am I right? You live in a culture of entitlement. We are tempted by a culture of entitlement. We're tempted to think that we should get everything that we want. People are actually talking about, like, the equality of outcome in our culture. I mean, it's a crazy thing, and it creates all kinds of resentment and bitterness and, and anger. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have this in my heart, too. I mean, I got my USSR check direct deposited into my bank account this week. How many of y'all did? 
Am I right? It's a, I, that's what we call it in my household. We call it the USSR check. Like, thank you, Mother Russia. You know, like, and you start thinking, oh, man, like, like everything's going to be taken care of for me. Like, everything's going to be, everything should be taken care of. And it destroys relationships. A sense of entitlement destroys relationships. And, and what does grace give us? Grace helps us to replace entitlement with gratitude. Can I get an amen? To live grateful lives. <laughs> to say, man, God, you're, you're working all things out. Even the bitter stuff in my life you can use. And the good stuff you can use. And I can enjoy the good stuff and give you praise. I can, I can persevere in the bad stuff because I know that you're working in me not always what I want, but always what I need. Grace humbles us in a good way. You know, grace, we talked about it last week, grace, grace humbles us without deflating us. It encourages us without feeding our pride because we recognize that everything we have comes from God. And I struggle with pride, you know? I, I struggle with pride and a sense of entitlement. I do. I... I think it was John Piper who said, you know, pride is, uh, let's see, he said, he said, self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Because when I suffer, I think I don't deserve this. And he said, boasting is the response of pride to success. Because when I'm successful, I think that I've earned it. And the truth is, is that that everything I have comes from God. It's all by grace. And grace works in us gratitude. What is grace? Grace is drawing us irresistibly to the Redeemer. Irresistibly. But the other way to respond to this is, whether you're watching online or whether you're here, the way to respond to this is to believe in Jesus. To say to yourself, everything in my life that's happened, the, the thing that's drawn me to this moment in my life right now is so that I will believe in Jesus, I will get forgiveness, I will be made a new person in Christ. And if you've not made that decision, make that decision and let somebody know that you've made that decision. But that's grace. Next week we will finally make it to Ruth chapter 3. Let us pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your grace, amazing grace. Oh, God, you, you can and you do work in the hearts of people. You can and you do work in the history of people. And Lord, I'm praying that everything you're doing in our life is just drawing us to the feet of Jesus to the life of Jesus, that we would come to a place where we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Father, work in hearts in our church. Work in hearts in this community of Kenosha. Work in the hearts of people in our nation. Draw people to Christ, bring about revival and renewal. But God, we are so thankful today because we see in this text that no matter what happens, you will always have a people who worship you.
He will always have a remnant people who will worship you, even in the worst and the darkest of times. When everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes, you will be creating a people who base their life on what you say more than on what they see. So God, do that in our lives and do that in our ministry and our church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.